Welcome to episode 175 of the Podcast. It's your boy, Mrs. ECP from the A63, a.k.a. Zay Coleman, a.k.a. Polkati's number one podcast. How you doing today, boys? Today's episode, number two of today's episodes, by the way. Um, In case you missed the one earlier, we did one positive from every NBA team. Reluctantly, go check that one out because it's almost a two-hour show. Probably a, one of the longer uh, solo episodes I've ever posted. We'll put it that way. Um, but we're going to be doing one negative from every NBA team, and I tr- I'll try to make this one just as quick by roping a few of these together, um, if that makes any sense at all. Um, we'll start, like, just for, uh, sure, just for my giggles. Um, y'all know the order by now, at least. Um, 76ers, Mavericks, um... Nuggets will probably put in this one. Um, probably even put the rock, the sorry, the Raptors in this. Um, all teams that rely heavily on their isolation guys, and this is like very public knowledge with the Dallas Mavericks. They're genuinely one of the most ISO heavy teams in the NBA, almost in NBA history at this point. Um. Like the the ISO rate is almost disgusting if you look at the numbers. Um, even just the eye the eye test honestly tells you more. But oh boy, numbers almost the the numbers in eye test almost don't do it justice for just how bad it is. Like it's genuinely disgusting. It's to the point where it's like, how do you go about the uh? running ISO plays this much in the NBA game. So just, again, again, just a few numbers to to point out how ridiculous with the Mavericks. We'll get to 76ers in a little bit because even though we kind of talked about it in the previous episode, um, with the Dallas Mavericks, 15% of their, uh, they run about uh, 15 plays, ISO plays in a game, which is about 14%, which is... Uh, about f- almost 4% higher than the next highest team, which is the Philadelphia 76ers, which we've mentioned, and then the Brooklyn Nets. We've also um, can rope into this conversation. Um, but I have a different reason for them. Is yes, Luka Doncic, James Harden, Kevin Durant, and we can rope Joel Embiid into that too. Are probably the three best, three to four best isolation players in the NBA. But the over-reliance on them is going to be the costly uh, difference in the, in the grand scheme of things when it comes to playoff success. And I mean, it's like Luka Doncic and James Harden are, you know, well-documented on they don't necessarily, um, their bodies doesn't necessarily hold up come May, early to late May. So. With the, the um, with the the reasoning of Luka Doncic being an ISO heavy player, that's kind of why the Mavericks signed Kemba Walker. Is like, God, we need another guy that can do something off the ball. Spencer Dinwiddie's maybe, or sorry, on the ball. Um, Spencer Dinwiddie's probably the closest they have to that. Even then, he's not really the best or the most reliable when it comes to things like that. Um. Like being the primary ISO guy, or even just a secondary ISO guy, because even in Brooklyn, the Nets weren't a good team. 
they happened to be a, a better team than either of the teams in the East, but they weren't necessarily a great team. Like this, this championship level squad with him and D'Angelo Russell. Not understand Luka Doncic is a thousand times better than D'Angelo Russell was in Brooklyn, but it's the same concept. Is yeah, they're going to they're going to run twenty ish ISO plays a game. I know the number is fifteen, but in playoff time, it's going to be Luka Doncic pound 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 dribble. Step back three for the vast majority. Um, but yeah, uh, it's it's going to be it's going to be an interesting. And again, we said mentioned earlier, we can rope the Toronto Raptors in this, into this too. They're about in the nine uh, percent um, frequency when it comes to uh, running ISO plays, which is top five in the league, also. So there's your chances are you're going to get um plays out of that that system simply due to the fact that it's like, oh yeah, they are pretty much like just going to run Luca 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 pound 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 dribble step back three or pound 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 dribble drive to the basket and hopefully get a foul call. That's basically what Dallas Mavericks basketball is. And again, that's not gonna that's not championship winning basketball, and that's kind of what is harming the Mavericks a little bit. Now, lately, Tim Hardaway Jr. has resurfaced, and that's good at all. But at the cost of it, it's multiple losses to the Suns, Pistons, um, Brooklyn, Utah. Like, they've had some bad losses where it's like, those losses are specifically teams just defense, 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 all on Luka Doncic. And everybody else has to beat us, and they didn't have enough to beat those uh, those specific teams. Now they did get a, a win against Brooklyn, specifically due to Luka Doncic's uh, offensive craziness. But at the cost of it, it was losing um, one of those games as well. So it's like you you take your wins with your losses when it comes to Luka Doncic isolation. You you get him averaging the most points in the NBA, but you also get him you know being tired in the fourth quarter and not necessarily showing up when he needs to. Just things to watch out for the um, with the Dallas Mavericks. Okay, so now that we've gotten basically just roped all of those teams together, honestly, Philly, Dallas, Brooklyn, Toronto, um, you can co- carbon copy of that with James Harden, Joel Embiid, Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving. With the Raptors, is Pascal, Fervent Fleet, a little bit of Scotty Barnes as well. Like, you, you can just, you can all rope those guys in the same spot. Um, Next, it's the category of teams that can't really control what uh what really goes down with um the, the negatives of their teams, such as the Milwaukee Bucks, the Miami Heat, um, the Memphis Grizzlies. There were certain teams where it was like injuries are like the big negative for them so far this year, which admittedly you know, it hasn't really slowed down teams like the Bucks and the Grizzlies that they're both top three, top four in their respective conferences. But that's kind of what's killed the Miami Heat was the over saturation of injuries. Whereas like Jimmy went down, Hero went down, um, Lowry went down, Bam went down. They had plenty of people go down to injuries and that kind of ship shaped uh, ship shaped a little bit to where like every single player on this roster, except for maybe um, Max Struess, has gone down to an injury. And Max Struess and Caleb Barton has gone down to an injury. 
and that's going to that's going to uh, come back to bite them if you know they're like a ninth seed in the Eastern Conference, and now they got to go from playing to playing twice just to earn a playoff spot. Um, next, um, the Chicago again, we're going to rope in all of the non-defensive basketball teams, like the defense being the big key piece to a lot of their uh mis misfortunes. Um, Chicago Bulls, Detroit Pistons, um, Denver Nuggets, and there was one more team that we that I had put in. Oh, and the Phoenix Suns. That's what those are the two. Uh, sorry, the four teams defensively that I've mentioned. That was like, God, if only they had like that one defensive stopper for the Phoenix Suns. I specifically said lack of perimeter defense. Um, besides Mikael Bridges, because Outside of the mid range, which they defend pretty well, they're like bottom seven in almost every defensive category, uh, traditional and advanced. And when it comes to shooting in the paint and shooting from three, like they give up like top, like in the, they're like the fifth most um, three pointers made in the NBA or the, I think it's like seventh in paint, uh, in defensive field goal percentage in the paint. So, which means, or the translation, they give up the seventh most points in the paint, or seventh seventh highest field goal percentage in the paint, and over, I think it's around like maybe like the sixth most attempts or something like that. So they're in that range of, yeah, they give up a lot of points in the paint, basically. And I think, like, it, and again, that kind of you know we could say that about Denver Nuggets too, which we'll get to. But with the Phoenix Suns, is like DeAndre Ayton is not really a rim protector, and they don't have a rim protector back there. On the bench, it used to be JaVale McGee, but they let him walk. And so now it's like Jacques Landale, who's not really athletic. So, like, he's not really getting up there to block shots. Bismack Biombo's like 6'8", so he's not really a rim protector either. So it's like they have nothing back there. And now it's kind of biting them because, well, one of the recent games with Dallas Mavericks is, oh, yeah, like Christian Wood is, for the first time ever, is taking advantage of a matchup. And now, boom, he's got 25 all of a sudden, and we're not, we, we don't, we're not going to compete with that. Same with the Boston Celtics. It's like, yeah, you know, JT and JB, yeah, they, they can make threes, but a lot of it was just them getting to the basket and finishing over top of DeAndre Ayton, who's basically the same height as them. So it's like, you take your wins with the losses. Yeah, like, yeah, Phoenix is a good offensive team. Devin Booker's one of the best scorers in basketball. DeAndre Ayton's. Good, great in the pick and roll, no matter who the point guard is. Um, Mikael Bridges, you know, his shot creation is up the uh up the little bit, but for the most part, defensively, they have taken a drastic cut from last season. Um, with the Denver Nuggets, defensively, a lot of and honestly, it's a big disappointment. But similar to the Phoenix Suns, a lot of their um, mishaps on the defensive end are paint. And perimeter, like guarding the three pointer, guarding the, uh, and guarding when people are getting into the paint. Like they're number one in the NBA and giving up most points inside of five feet, which that a lot of that, similar to the Dutch Phoenix Suns, attest to not having a rim protector. DeAndre or Jordan is way, 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 way past his prime and is not going to cover for the fact that Nikola Jokic is already not really an athletic player anyway, which admittedly, you know, that's 
there's nothing to be afraid, uh, be upset about. Like, sure, yeah, not everybody's going to be a jumping out the gym, but you need to have other players around him that can cover for those mishaps. And Denver clearly does not have the, one of those on the roster. Ironically, two years ago, they had two of these dudes in JaVale McGee and Isaiah Hardenstein. And now the Knicks and the Mavericks are like one of the better paint defensive teams in the league. And, well, Phoenix, or it was Denver and Phoenix aren't. And again, like I said, that's kind of, I wouldn't say it's coincidence, but, you know, it's, it kind of adds up when you, look, when you really, really think about it. Okay, next, now that we get to the Chicago Bulls, this has everything to do with Lonzo Ball and just not being available. I'm going to be honest with you. Like, these defensive the again, God-awful defensive numbers, but the vast majority of those is because Lonzo Ball is injured. They'll go up if Lonzo comes out. I'm not going to say when because I'm not going to jinx anything. But, if you know, if he does come back this season, those numbers will go up. Um... This one, the for the Cleveland Cavaliers, it's honestly the backcourt struggling to really to gel with each other, and it's not a major um, uh, realization because realistically they're only like what twelve ish games into playing with each other, but they're like you're not going to get you're very rarely again you're going to have to pick a, a terrible terrible perimeter defensive team for that <clears throat> Dallas Mavericks or sorry the Denver Nuggets. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, um, but to, for them, to, you're gonna have a terrible defensive team that uh would give up two good games to those guys. You'll never really get a great Darius Garland and Donovan Mitchell performance. You'll either get great Darius Garland or more than likely a great Donovan Mitchell game, and that's kind of been the vast majority of their uh season so far is. One's good, the other one's mid. One and the other one's good, and the other one's mid. Like it's it's never been a a two and two coincide thing with them. But um, hopefully that does uh, fix it, fix itself towards the end of the year because I kind of want to see both of these dudes um, shine. Next for the Boston Celtics. Dot dot dot. I genuinely couldn't find a thing like. Robert Williams not be a bad question mark. Like, there's literally nothing. The Celtics couldn't have a better start to the season. Literally 21-5. and five. It's like a couple of blown games to the Bulls, a couple of blown games to the Cavs. But overall, this team is red hot. And it's going to be pretty difficult to, to ruin their season in any sort of way. Next. Um, we kind of talked about the Clippers. We talked about the Grizzlies, the Atlanta Hawks. Um, recently there's been a little too much surrounding the team, like you know, off the court stuff. Obviously, Trey Young and uh, Nate McMillan got into their little thing that really is not any of our business. Um, John Collins is being shot, Clint Capella being shot, DeAndre Hunter's been in and out. Um, there's a lot that's going on with the team that really. It's kind of taken away from the fact, taken away from the fact that uh, the Atlanta Hawks are a top four seed in the Eastern Conference. Um, it's really, it's really a shame, bro. Because like <laughs> this team, 
like one of the one of the greater things that um made this Atlanta Hawks team good a couple of years ago is like people weren't expecting a whole lot from them going into the year and then they overcame the odds and boom now they're you know they are in the Eastern Conference Finals but now that you know they added DeJounte Murray they got a couple of pieces they got their guys healthy for uh, for the most part and now they're very much in limbo one in off the court which sucks because this is one of the more talented teams in the East. Um, but yeah, it's just a shame. Like I said, nothing on the court too much has really um, impacted them. Like they, again, they have guys in and out of the lineup all the time, but um, it's more of the off the court stuff that's, or the front office stuff that's really gotten in the way of this team being that good. Next, Charlotte Hornets. Um, quite literally everything. Everything has gone to shit this season. We knew it would go to shit this season. And now it's just coming into fruition. So, boom. They have a top five pick potentially coming up next year. Um, Next for the Utah Jazz, I feel like it's kind of um, – trying to think if there's a team, like, in the last couple of years that this happens to. I think it was the Wizards last year. Um, where they were like the first seed in the West through the first quarter of the season. And everybody thought, oh, like, oh, shit, it's Bradley Beal an MVP candidate. And then everything fell downhill, and boom! Now they're they were with the eighth pick last year, I believe the eighth eighth pick. Um, but the Utah Jazz, the sun, the summer, bro, the honeymoon phase, I think is over with the Utah Jazz. I wouldn't say over because, like I said, they're still a quality team, and I think they can still win a decent amount of games. Um, before everybody shipped out, and boom, every like the playoff hopes is over, but. On a slightly smaller scale, it's kind of hard to pinpoint where exactly did the Utah Jazz go. Like, they're still a, a playoff team in the Eastern Conference, or sorry, in the Western Conference, and are still more than capable of, you know, once Mike Conley comes back healthy, of going on another run. It's just, what do the Jazz prioritize more? The current team, you know, potentially... Being a contender, I'm gonna take contender, but a at least a playoff contender long term, or or at least in the short term, or the long term of potentially getting either Victor or Scoot. Something to think about in that front office. Next, the Sacramento Kings. Um, overall, the Kings have actually been a pretty good team this year. Um, way better than ever I even expected. But this team still doesn't necessarily have an identity. They got a gimmick. The I think the, the like the beam is kind of a like a, almost a calling card at this point with the Kings. It's similar to like the two thousands cowbell, um, but they still don't necessarily have a true identity. They still have a lot of pieces that they've got. They got Monk or we got Fox, Sabonis, Monk, Herder, Barnes, Murray, Mitchell, um, Metu, Holmes. They 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 got. A good amount of pieces, Davis, but there's no identity. Like you got guys that are more flashy, you got guys that are more defensive oriented, offensive oriented. Um, but no, nothing that really coincides together. They just got a lot of talent, and I think that's what's got them here at a plus five hundred record, twenty seven ish games, twenty eight ish games into the season. Um, I don't think it's going to be sustainable. Um, at least for a good team, maybe for a potential play-in team, I'd say it's not terrible. But 
for a team with high aspirations now that they are in the middle of the pack in the West, like, you know, you have expectations, and I don't think they can necessarily meet those expectations anymore. Next, New York Knicks. We kind of uh, wrote both the Knicks, Lakers, and we kind of did this with the, uh, with the Mavs already. So, boom. But um, with the Knicks and the Lakers, um, the inefficiencies have really caught up to them. And when I say this, I mean, it's like, basically, they're running their offense through their, their star big men. With the Knicks, is Julian Randle, and with the Lakers, is Anthony Davis. But at a cost of the Knicks being bottom seven in overall uh, field goal efficiency and um, true shooting, and bottom three in three-pointers, uh, in three-point percentage. And the same thing with the Lakers is um, bottom, they're in the bottom third in almost every shooting category, shooting 10 plus feet, which means they can get into the paint. And once they get into the paint, they can finish, which was a, um, a portion of their game last year, which was god awful, especially from Russell Westbrook. Um, but this year, those guys, you know, Russ, AD, Braun, they're getting into the paint, Lonnie Walker, they can get into the paint and, and score with the best of them. But, you know, once they are outside the paint, they're ineffective, which, again, is something that we've talked about with the with the stars of the Lakers for the last two, three years now. It's like, yeah, they can, they can get to the paint, but can they shoot threes? Like, teams will score three as they go get two, and that's basically what has lost them the vast majority of their games. Even as a, you know, somewhat pretty good defensive team that the Lakers are with the hodgepodge group of people that they have on the roster, they have, they're a good enough defensive team to be 10 and 14 right now, but they're not a good enough offensive team to at least get into the 500 room. And that's kind of what's hurt them. And we even, we've mentioned this from literally day one, that, yeah, the defense is there, but the offense is just got, is like, as like historical levels at one point of how bad the offense was shooting the basketball. And now it's slightly better in a way, but it's still like, it's still not good enough to where they can be even the mid of the Western conference. Next with the Orlando magic. Um, they just simply have too much to figure out. Like, yeah, they're a bad team, and yes, they have veterans that they can package for assets. But even if they package said veterans for assets, you still have Cole Anthony, Jalen Suggs, Markel Fultz, Caleb Houston, uh, Mo Wagner, Bol Bol, Mo Bamba, Wendell Carter, Paul, uh, Paolo Boncaro, um, your first-round pick this year, and um, Chicago's first-round pick this year. And... What I imagine if a trade with the Warriors were to exist, Terrence Ross probably goes with Wiseman. So maybe Wendell Carter goes for Wiseman, but still, like you're going to get veteran pieces for James Wiseman. That's a lot to figure out of who's going to be your top guys. Who do you want to prioritize playing time to? Who y'all want to make? Um, a position, uh, a play for long term, and they got to make these decisions quick because the NBA moves without the war or without the magic, with or without the magic. There, the league is going to move on. They're going to have to make adjustments. I can even like if one of those young guys is packaged and moved to like Portland or um, what's the team that needs a young guard right now besides the Lakers? I should say that. Um, 
I would say Brooklyn, but they're not even playing Camp Thomas right now. So, like, whatever team would need a young guard, you know, maybe um, the Clippers potentially make a play for, like, a, a Cole Anthony or something, or maybe an RJ Hampton. Just, uh, just out of curiosity. I'm just, I'm just throwing names out there. I'm legit just throwing names. Um, like, if the one of those moves are made, like, now, then they have to worry about potentially a number one pick next year, maybe potentially two top five picks. It depends on how bad the Bulls are um, next year. Like, that's that's a, a genuine – like, that's a happy concern to have, but a concern nonetheless. Next, um, with the Indiana Pacers, um, this feels – again, I'm a I'm – a, this is me going to be harping on criticism here. This feels like a fluke for some reason. Like, not saying that this team is bad because they have plenty of quality players on this team. They got Tyrese Halliburton. Tyrese Halliburton. Um, they got Miles Turner. They got Buddy Heald. They got Benedict Mathurin, who, as a rookie, has been absolutely outstanding. Um, they got key pieces like Chris Duarte, who's been out, but he's still a uh, key contributor there. Andrew Nimhard, as a second-round pick, has been a, a pretty solid uh, a steal for them out the, out the draft. Um, Aaron Neesmith, he's had his spot minutes. James Johnson. Um, Goga Badatse, Zay, uh, Zay Jackson. They've had the Jalen Smith. They got plenty of pieces here in Indiana, but for some odd reason, it feels like this team is going to hit a bit of a cliff at some point. And which is unfortunate because I, I don't want to make that prediction. Like I don't, I don't want to say, oh, this team is fluky wins. And, you know, they're not going to make the seventh seed. Like I'm not going to be that guy, but like I'm very curious on how. These next like ten ish games, like if I do just a quick, maybe I don't know, ten ish seconds of of research for their their next what ten ish games on their schedule, um, but I would imagine tonight they got the the uh, the Wizards, so that's that should be good. Um, that might thanks that could potentially swing, but Nets, Heat, Warriors, Cavs, Knicks, Celtics, Heat, Pels. Hawks, Cats, and that basically takes them to the end of the year, which on New Year's Eve, they play the Clippers. So the next 11 games are vast majority are playoff teams. It's play, basically playoff teams and Miami. And I guess Washington to an extent. Washington and Miami are like in the same room, though. So essentially all playoff to play in teams, people that are around their bracket of competition, maybe a few teams that's like above them, like the Celtics and the Pelicans and the Cavs. But overall, these next 10-ish games are going to tell me, are the Pacers still, and if the Pacers are still a top five to six seed by January, I think we can start making the call that they're a legit team now. I'm gonna make that. We're gonna make that prediction right here, right now on the podcast. They're still at bare minimum a 500 team, but if they're also like top six, top five, we're gonna start penciling them as a legitimate playoff team. Um, I the Pelicans. I literally drew sunshines and rainbows because very. It's still concerning that Brandon Ingram's injured, but crazy that the Pelicans are low key a better team without Brandon Ingram. Running through Zion has made the Pelicans the best team in the West right now. And that is scary. Next, Detroit Pistons. <sighs> I promise I'm not going to turn this into a rant about my own team, but Pistons fans, 
this is management. If you're ever watching this show ever, you're probably not. But if you're ever watching this show, um, I'm going to turn the mic up just, just so y'all can, y'all can get a, a good listen at your boy. Dwayne Casey is not the answer. Okay? I repeat for the masses, Dwayne Casey is not the answer. Okay, now that that's clear, um, reason why Dwayne Casey is not the answer. Um, nonsensical moves like the last 17 minutes of a loss being occupied by Corey Joseph and Marvin Bagley, which admittedly Marvin Bagley is a young talent to share. Go look at him. But Marvin Bagley will never be a center on the NBA level because simply defensively, he's not guarding the pick and rolls. Offensively, he's not a dominant as dominant around the paint as you would like him to be. The front court of the future, whether he's a foul merchant or not, I don't care, plays uh, uh, Jalen Duran with the anticipation that he cracks 30 minutes. Him playing like 15 minutes a game is not going to help him. Spot minute, he's Jalen Duran's not going to be a spot minutes guy on the NBA level. He's going to be a starting center on the NBA level. Play him like a starting center. Play Isaiah Stewart like the stretch forward that he's been asking to play the vast majority of his career. Sadiq Bey, if he's got to be a sixth man, by all means, let him be a sixth man. But do not, I repeat, do not ever try to convince me that running small with Marvin Bagley at the five is a good idea. You're out of your mind. I can tell you specific games where we have a loss because Marvin Bagley is not the guy to be uh, coming to rent. That is a free layup or dunk for whatever team is in the paint. Specifically, the Pelicans, by God, Zion Williamson destroyed us just going to the basket. Troy Murphy, same thing. Like, legit, we're going to pull up the Pistons again, and I will tell you specific games that we, the Grizzlies, oh my God, the Grizzlies game last weekend was an atrocity. Seeing how bad that they were when it came when it came to covering the paint, John Morant had his will with every single person out there. Cleveland on uh, November twenty seventh, the Cleveland game, probably the most disgusting game I watched when it came to Marvin Bagley not being able to cover the paint. Um, with the Phoenix Suns, Dwayne Washington and Devin Booker, or was it Devin Booker? I'm pretty sure it was Devin Booker. I couldn't remember. I think it was Devin Booker. Dwayne Washington specifically, I remember, but also Devin Booker. Being able to attack oh, Cameron Payne as well, also being able to attack the paint at will because <clears throat> Marvin Bagley is the starting center on this thing. Um, it's a it's a, it's literally a shame how many games we have lost simply by the just bad rotations, and it, it's a shame like 17 straight minutes of Corey Joseph running point guard. I don't care if he's a veteran leader. Yes, he can be a veteran leader on the bench. Let him be a veteran leader on the bench. Sacramento, oh my God, I, the Sacramento game I remember vividly too because I'm like, yeah, we got a chance to win this game. We got a chance to win this game. And then poof, De'Aaron Fox is in the paint getting a dunk. Harrison Barnes is cutting back door. Um, Malik Monk had two dunks in the fourth quarter where it's like, oh God, why? Or two two backdoor cuts. I don't remember if they were dunks or not, but they two two absolute backdoor cuts. And it's like, he doesn't fear Marvin Bagley in the paint. Why would he even try to... to um, be why would he even attempt to be scared? Like the legit, the Kings beat us simply from backdoor cuts and driving to the paint. 
And again, all of that stops with Jalen Duran, who's a literal monster in the paint. You're not using him. You're playing him spot minutes. Like, who does that? Anyways, next, um, Houston Rockets. It's just a lack of sense of structure. No sense of structure around this team. And again, it's literally young guys and Boba Marjanovic, so I'm not expecting it to be the most um, on on court, the most mature team out there. But like, golly, like at least a run up play call. Jesus Christ. Um, yesterday's game against the Spurs was the latest example of this. This is the Jalen Green show in Houston. And again, I don't want to turn into that, you know, Jalen Green hater, you know, whatever y'all called me all last year. Anyways, um, but on a regular, on a real note, like. Steven Silas is literally playing to tank right now. And it's you sh- and again, you don't want again. I understand a team being bad, but actively like purposefully tanking. Like the Spurs tried have tried to purposefully tank and we're that's literally the note that I have here for the Spurs is tanking way too obvious. But this thing, the same thing could be applied to the Houston Rockets. And it was to the point last night, somebody had to win the game. Doug McDermott just throwing up bullshit and hitting it was literally the difference between this game or in the game, just being honest with you. Like, literally, it was just Doug McDermott throwing up the dumbest shot possible, and he happened to make them. Like, if it wasn't, if he had missed a couple of those threes in the third quarter, Houston potentially accidentally wins this game. And that's a crying shame. Um, it's a it's a problem that needs to be fixed in Houston. It was like, is a, a legit? Is just a lack of structure. If they get a more structured head coach, like a stricter head coach, I think would be go wonder with, with this team. Phoenix Suns. We talked about the lack of perimeter defense. OKC. I literally just have written here. Poor Shea Gilders Alexander. Um, it's a again. It's also a shame. It's like Shea is trying his absolute best to make this Thunder team look watchable. Um. Still averaging close to 30 points a game while still trying to keep this team within the play-in spot at the bare minimum. I'm thinking they're like the 11th or 12th seed right now currently in the Western Conference, which is dope because if Shea Gilders Alexander did not exist or, you know, God forbid this man, you know, has a sore thumb, this team is like the 14th seed out West low-key. And um, that's not a good thing if you're the OKC Thunder. Um, Next, the Minnesota Timberwolves. Um before the Rudy Gobert game, um, or like the Rudy Gobert comeback game last night, uh, two nights ago, um, this Timberwolves team was looking pretty, pretty, uh, is looking pretty much in the mud at that point because two reasons. Reason number one, the offensive woes were like historically bad, bro. Like historically bad. Like you could not get a single solitary bucket from anybody not named Carl Anthony Towns. And second, the mostly, and again, I'm going to say mostly because, you know, they had some games where they came up clutch. But in the last five minutes, of the vast majority of the close games they've been in were dreadful play calling. And again, I, le- I like Chris Finch as a head coach. I love him a lot more than, uh, was it uh, McDonald? Was it McDonald? Uh, the, the previous coach in Minnesota. I'll say that. I like him a lot more than Odu, but that does not escape anything Chris Finch. Um, like that does not escape, escape erasure by uh, towards Chris Finch because play calling has been at best questionable. Now I understand you can't really play call when you have two 
um, seven footers out there. One who's more perimeter, one who's more paint oriented, but without, you know, running a lot of ISOs or pick and rolls. And that gets very, very, very predictable after a while. Um, but at the same time, that's when you sprinkle in the, you know, I don't know, one man lineups that, or one big man lineups that don't, you know, really mess with the flow of the game. That's why guys like Kyle Anderson, um, Jaden McDaniels, Jalen Noel, uh, Brent Forbes, Austin Rivers, those guys become, window more, become a lot more important because you can run interchangeable lineups. You can run um, different sets with different guys, and it doesn't feel like a totally inept offense, which the Minnesota Timberwolves are at this point. Um, but now that, you know, they got a win under, the, under their belt, a good win at that. They got another one tonight, potentially against the Utah Jazz. I want to see more of what we saw towards the end of the last game where they were able to basically, uh, um, basically like take the Pacers out of their usual sets, which is off-ball um, movement for either Buddy Heald um, with Aaron Neesmith, Benedict Matherin, when he was healthy, Chris Duarte, like take those guys out of their comfort zone and, you know, basically just play to your own, uh, play to your own strengths, which is high pressure on the ball or high pressure on shooters and Rudy Gobert roam the paint because while Miles Turner is a good shooter, out on the perimeter, I'm not really trusting him for a game, which is basically what the Timberwolves did or what the Pacers did, and that's how you know we were able to get in the Rudy Gobert block at the end. Just saying, that could be a, a a different scenario that they try out towards the end of uh towards the end of the calendar year. Next for the Portland Trailblazers, while there isn't a necessary necessarily bad thing that Timberwolves have done so far, or to the Blazers have done so far this year. It's like they haven't really been able to separate themselves from the Western Conference. Like I feel like a lot of people wanted them to, specifically because of that. And again, nobody's really able to separate because everybody from one to twelve is like three and a half games. But the Portland Trailblazers, on the other hand, like they're one of the on paper one of the more talented teams in the West, at least from the top eight. And potentially Shaden Sharp. Like, basically, that their top eight, I think we're going to be. And now, granted, um, Gary Payton second has not played for them yet. And I think they're eventually going to get him back. They kind of in and out with Nas, uh, Nas Little. Like, they're, they're interchanging guys. You know, Trent Walford, um, Justice Winslow. They got, they got guys that are pretty interchangeable that they, they're, they're trying to run through to see who fits best. So far, it's been Justice Winslow. But nonetheless, it feels kind of like almost like a burden, if you will, that um, letting Dame and Anthony Simons essentially be the Dame CJ 2.0, not in a literal sense, but whereas like they're the two high usage ball creators and nobody else is really like Jeremy Grant has had his games, obviously, but nobody else has really had the. um 
has really stepped up to that level just yet. And I feel like eventually somebody's going to have to step up. Otherwise, we're going to be in for a long season. With the Portland Trailblazers being a six seed at the All-Star break, and then Damian Lillard goes in his usual post-All-Star break run, where he's like all of a sudden like top five player again, and you know we go through the same cycle, and then they're bouncing the first or second round, and then we we circle back to this next season. But I'm saying like that's is that the where we want to go with the Portland Trailblazers? Do we want to go through the same cycle we went through five years ago, but you spent first round picks on already? I'm just saying, don't don't do, please don't do this. Um, with the Warriors, one negative that I have for them is, and I'm not going to go with the oh the young guys aren't ready yet. No, I'm not going to be that guy. But late game collapses, and it just so happened, those late game collapses have not featured Steph Curry, Andrew Wiggins, or Draymond Green. I'm, I'm just saying, like you know, it's not. I'm not saying that it's a young guys. I'm not saying you know James Wiseman's bad or Jonathan Kaminga's Julie Bound. I'm not. I'm not gonna be that guy, but like, you know, getting some veterans in there might help the cause just a little bit. Like I said, Terrence Ross might be a good trade after all. You know, we mentioned Wendell Carter. I'm, I'm we're just plucking from the Orlando Magic at this point. Um, maybe from the Detroit Pistons. Maybe I'll go after like a Nerlens Noel because I think rim protection is also something that the Warriors might desperately. Need. And for the Washington Wizards, one giant negative that I pretty much like covered since the deal even went down. But Bradley Beal the Bradley Beal Supermax. I understand they had to give him the Supermax. Otherwise he was finna walk and honestly, what team would have even signed Bradley Beal? Anyways, um you <laughs> we look back at it in hindsight. Like what team would have taken Bradley Beal in July? Like, nobody except rebuilding teams had cap space. Would Bradley Beal have gone to the Spurs or the Pistons or the Rockets to, to uh, head start their rebuild on a four-year max? No. So, like, what? They didn't have to give him the max. And, all right. Anyways, um, we're getting all the way sidetracked. But Bradley Beal... For a guy that's making what two sixty ish game guaranteed, twenty one points is wild. <laughs> like out being outscored by Kristaps Porzingis, who's on an expiring deal, is kind of crazy. If you really look at it in hindsight, it's kind of crazy. Is he expiring? No, he's got one more year on his deal. I think he's got a player option, but still, like basically a guy that's on an expiring deal outplaying your alleged superstar is crazy. I think Bradley Beal and Damian Lillard are the two most active players of her, like in their franchise's history. Like they've been with their their franchise the longest without switching teams. Like that's crazy to me. Genuinely that is crazy to me. Like I'm trying to think Philly no. Well I guess Udonis has them. I mean superstars. He like because obviously superstars get traded all the time. Like they're they're the last two of their of their uh draft class to still be with their team and I don't think anybody beyond that has been with their team. So yeah, like Damon Bradley Bill are probably the two most loyal guys in the NBA besides of course like you Udonis Haslam. But anyways, I digress. Um but Bradley Bill slowly is turning into 
I wouldn't even say it's a regression because like Bradley Beal was never really elite. He just took a lot of shots and got fouled. He he went the James Harden route to go average thirty a game. Like he it was a pretty um Bradley Beal's just not getting his calls anymore, so he, the points have obviously dwindled like drastically with him. Um but overall, like even if you want to like just take away the free throws. Eason is not getting his shots anymore. Like Chris Stapps is getting getting a lot of touches. Kuz is getting a lot of touches. Though that that four and five position is not being occupied by Anthony Gill and Thomas Robinson or Thomas Robinson. God, that's a name and a half. Thomas Bryant anymore. So you know Bradley Bill doesn't have to take twenty five to thirty shots a game. Like he's he's dialed down a little bit, but at the cost of Twenty million dollars more than what he was making before he signed the deal, like this this new contract. I'm just saying, that's a pretty big negative overall. Like the Wizards haven't had too many negatives. Like Chris Pat's, Chris Stops is back. Kuzma still Kuz. Um, unfortunately, Rui Hachimura is like, you know, like none of their first round picks have hit since Bradley Beal. Is basically what I'm saying. Like 2022, Johnny Davis is currently not in the rotation. 2021, um, Corey Kispert actively being hated by the franchise. 2020, Denny Adia is coming off the bench. 2019, Rui is coming off the bench. 2018, did the Wizards have in 2018? I don't remember. Um, but the Wizards, the most of the Wizards first round picks have not hit since Bradley Beal. Or really since technically Otto Porter. But even then Otto Porter wasn't like elite. He was just he, he was a he's still in the lead. That's basically what it is. He's still in the lead. But Bradley Beal's like their last like hit at, uh, on a first round pick. And that's kind of wild to me. Um, we're going to leave you off on that, that little tidbit then. Because um, it's currently, what, 7 o'clock. Um, this is episode 2 of 3 being recorded today. The third one you'll probably... Yeah, depends on when, where when you look for it. Um, episode 3 might be out tonight. If you are more of a getting alert on your phone type of guy, the podcast will be out tomorrow morning. But either way, or the third, the third podcast, I got to reiterate, reiterate that the third podcast is out today or tomorrow. The second podcast will 100% come out tonight. But the third one, I think, won't be out until tomorrow morning. It depends, like you said, depends on where you get your podcast. Because at the end of the day, I unfortunately cannot control where or when the podcast gets released. Um, so there's that. But also, um, if you missed the last episode of the podcast, it is officially dropped and ready for um, consumption. Um, you can check about us on Spotify, on Google Podcasts, on Apple Podcasts, on Amazon Music, and of course right here on Anchor. Until next time, I love you. You love me. Let's love each other. Till next time. See you.